OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. All right. Well, we've already started, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. So uh, thank you very much, Tanya, for joining us today at uh, Open People Network or Ask an Angel. And uh, we're really excited today to, to get to chat with you, Tanya, because uh, one, you're groundbreaking, doing a lot of great things. Very excited to dive into the, the conversation. Uh, but maybe to start, just to kind of pave the way, uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background on yourself, kind of where you've come from from the legal side all the way up to kind of what you're doing today. And then we'll just kind of jump in and start firing off questions. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, good to be here. And I'm Tanya based in Singapore and managing partner at Her Capital, which is a venture capital fund focused on uh, women founders. And uh, we focus on women across Southeast Asia and we, um, I'm originally from the UK, from London, and I've been in Singapore for about four years now and originally moved here for no other reason than I didn't like the cold weather. And uh, Singapore definitely doesn't have any cold weather. So I've definitely found my calling. Um, this is where I should have been born. But um, uh, yeah, I do. I do sometimes miss that. But um, yes, I started out my career in um, in, in law firms, uh, both in London and in Sydney, and was in law firms for about 15 years, lastly in the M&A legal teams. And when I moved to Singapore, I it felt like a great time to relaunch myself, really. And then that's um, when I first started out on my investment journey and launched a uh, started off with a, an angel network, sort of a, a female um, led and female focused uh, angel network. And then that's evolved into her capital this year. That's awesome. Is this. Um, I'm just trying to remember now is the Singapore structure, that's the one you started in 2017. That's the angel group. So in 2017, I started Ladies Investment Club, which was 40. It started with just me and then eventually was 40 women, self-funded women supporting other women. And then in 2020, so in the middle of um, our pandemic that we've got going on, um, launched Her Capital as the institutionalized fund. This is our very first fund. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah, I was going to, I was curious as to how the uh, ladies investment uh, club started and what was the uh, premise behind that. So um, you were saying that it started off with you. So there's 40 women, is it 40 women globally, or is it 40 women in Southeast Asia and you're focusing on women founders in Southeast Asia? Yeah. So it, it so when I came to Singapore and I, I decided to give up my working in, in law, I, I I sort of racked my brains for a while and I actually had two very small children. I had two children under 18 months of age. So I, um, so I was, you know, giving myself a bit of a breathe, breathing space and trying to work out what I wanted to do, but I knew that it wasn't working in a big corporate law firm with ridiculous hours. Um, 
so instead I work for myself with ridiculous hours um, but um, I, I set up Ladies Investment Club because I made an investment personally in Singapore and really enjoyed it was my first ever like you know I was dipping my toes into the sort of business world and uh, because when what you find with a lot of lawyers and and people that work in big um big four accountancy firms or big legal firms they're rather institutionalized and not always particularly very commercial um and there's a it's very they're very rigid these big corporates so you know you have a department to do everything so you become an expert in your little area but there's so much support and rigidity to the structure it's not very entrepreneurial so I um I really enjoyed like it was it just was so interesting for me and actually the big corporates weren't particularly my place because I'm a bit of a rule breaker a bit of a rebel I guess um and so the rigidity of big corporates was very oppressive uh, much like this pandemic and I started to, to to invest and I was doing that on my own and what I really missed is people because one of the the, the best thing about working in a big corporate is that you've got huge amounts of people around you or we did have when we were all in offices and um and I actually really missed that so that's why I grew the team that's why I thought I'm, I don't want to do this on my own I want to be surrounded by smart people preferably smarter than me and um which isn't that is yeah, hard to do and and so I did that found yeah almost 40 women to invest wanted to support other women and what we learned from doing that was that in Southeast Asia there's a huge amount of women-led companies um that are fantastic and and really really um, the types of businesses that we wanted to support but obviously as an angel network it was very challenging to support every business because it was our own money so the, the, you know there was a finite amount of money available and in addition we wanted to be able to give bigger check sizes and when you look at the data it it tells us that for for women when they're raising capital it actually gets harder at every stage that they raise capital and so if if we were just giving that sort of seed capital which is what we were doing under ladies investment club and sort of crossing our fingers and hoping for the best wasn't really good enough because where were our female founders going in southeast asia over three quarters of venture capital funds have no women in them at all um, in, in decision-making roles. And so there, there was nowhere for them to, to go after us. So what we identified was that we wanted to do bigger check sizes and also be with our founders for a couple of funding rounds. So uh, now in Her Capital, the, the idea is, is that we, we're, we're there for pre-seed, we can do seed funding and we can do up to series A funding. So it means that we're not sort of just sending them on their merry way and hoping for the best. And it also allows us as a fund to build relationships with other larger funds um, to pass them on to uh, and to introduce them to and try to forge relationships with for taking them on beyond where we're able to go to. That's awesome. So you're, you're really grooming and working with the early stage companies um, specifically in the female founder space, and then you're pushing them upstream. So you're able to get some of those series A, and beyond companies to start investing in VCs to see them 
uh, because you guys have helped structure them and get them to a place where they've got great MRR, ARR, and now they can build more interest as they get further upstream. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. So there was, there was one thing I kind of wanted to, to, to go back on and, and touch on just based on your career and how much this impacts what you're doing now. Um, and I've, I've had this, I guess I've seen and heard and had this discussion a few times, but uh, it's interesting because um, on the legal side, um, there's a whole different structure on how legal people operate and function in the world. And what I mean by that is that you said it right at the beginning, you work a lot of hours. You put a lot of time in working with clients, closing deals, pushing deals through. It doesn't matter whatever stream you come in. There's just a lot of time going into um, manifesting and building up where this client's going and how they're taking that forward. So, and there's a lot of hustle in growing clients and building up their, uh, your portfolio within that client. How much of that structure that you spend 15 years working through, how much of that do you transfer into helping these startups kind of get on the ground and realize like you need to work that client, you need to work with them. You need to help them better understand what they're trying to get into here so that you can grow your MRR and grow over time. Does any of that kind of hustle and long hours transfer into what you're working with on these female founder sides? So for the last, so for my last 10 years in working in law firms, I was actually on the, um, on the business management side. So I moved into um, more like an operational role of, the corporate departments um so uh, but what i would say is that and and that actually was pretty um useful um skill set wise with what i'm doing now um but what i would say is that i didn't always find lawyers um to be particularly smart with their time and and so, and I found there was an awful lot of um, presenteeism and a lot of um, badge of honor for how many hours you've worked that week. You know, how close to, you know, breaking point have I pushed myself this week? And I'm just going to wear that as a badge of honor and I'm going to walk around the office and everyone else is going to give me kudos for that. And actually they did. And, and that was the environment. And, and I don't think that that's, that's a healthy environment. I didn't think it was at the time, um, pre-COVID and certainly not now. And I suspect a lot more people are aware of, of, of that work-life balance. Um, and, and that was in London and Sydney that happened. I always thought when I looked at Australia, I was like, I'm going to be on the beach by 3 p.m. I'm going to be, you know, a beach bum. Um, I've never worked harder than when I was in Sydney, actually. And and so what I have taken away from that into my um, my sort of second career, I guess, which is is the fund, is that if you don't, I don't believe, and I wasn't seeing the best work from people that put in the most hours. Um, and, and I know that traditional venture capital definitely has that, um, do you have the grit and the determination and can you almost kill yourself because that's the people we want to invest in? That's not really who we want to invest in. And I think women, generalizing statement here, but women do tend to be a little better 
at that and care a little less about that badge of honor than I see men do. Um, and I think that that for us, mental well-being, mental health and support, we're always acutely aware of our solo female founders, for example, the pressure, the sheer amount of pressure and the additional support that we want to give them, not because they are not good at execution and, and delivering on what they're, they're, they're doing in their business, but because it's really a lot of pressure on one person to be doing everything. And so we make sure that we're, we're there for them in that way. So I've learned a lot about how not to do things from my law firm days, for sure, that I use in, in this. And, and, and I apply to our founders as well, because when I see some of our founders who say, oh, my goodness, I haven't slept and this happened and now I've got to fly here, you know, pre-COVID and I've got to do this. and It's like, OK, let's actually I'm, I'm always a big fan of like pairing back what is actually going to get you to the end like and what, what are you out to achieve and then what is actually contributing to that and everything else you just need to cut of course you know I run a fund that I need to be doing regulatory seminars to make sure the license is in place I need to meet with founders I need to fundraise I need to interview interns there's a the, you know I, everyone wants to have a chit chat you know call me up just for a chat and send me emails just for a chat I can't do all of that I'll kill myself. So I'm very, very strict with my time and what I can and can't do. And I encourage our founders to do that too. No, I like that. And, and again, you take the learning that you have, like you said, you weed out the bad things and you try to put out the right things that are going to help them be more successful because that's the whole point of it. You're, you're managing your investment, your portfolio, your money and them and their mental health and their growth of their business. The last thing you want to do is uh, burn them out in three years and then they fail because they just couldn't keep going. Right. So um, I think that that's a, it's certainly a, a smarter way of, of evaluating it and, and working forward. And I've uh, through the legal side, I've had lots of um, friends, um, men and women, and you're right, the badge, it's not just legal, but software development is very yeah. similar. And uh, same with doctors. Like I'm not too sure yes. many people in the world do 24 hour shifts, but um, being able to do that and still function at 20 hours being super effective is amazing. But I think that there is a breaking point for anything that, you know what, I could change my life and do something different, or I have to get out of this kind of hustle that's working there. And how do you, how do you rope it down into a balance that allows for your outcomes to be more um, than your effort going in? And, you know, that takes time maneuvering and, and obviously life changes to help that. So that move yes. that. Yeah, I agree. One of the, uh, what was the, oh, every time I was like quote wise, but I was thinking that I went and saw Huffington Post, uh, the lady that sold Huffington Post. Um, yes. I, her name's just totally blowing out of my mind. Um, and this was probably 15 years ago. And she, she just had sold it. I believe it's AOL. So she was doing a talk. And one of the things she said was, um, you need to slow down and stop working 20 hour days and take some time to focus. You'll be able to build a stronger, better company, uh, but learn how to hustle in a, in a less aggressive way. And I think you're right. There's gotta be a point where a 12 hour or an 18 hour shift isn't going to change anything. It's what I do in that first eight hours. So how do I make that eight to 10 hours the most effective to move forward? And if I can yeah. transfer that to some startups and to some founders, then there's some great learning and, and a great way to transfer knowledge. Yeah. 
So now you've kind of, uh, you've taken a lot of this great background, which I find exciting, and you've, you've transferred it over, you're, you're living in Singapore. Uh, so, which is interesting that you've got um, a female-founded uh, and female-run, I guess, investments, investment firm into female founders, and you've gone into uh, a, a space or a countries that typically have um, less aggressive people, male or female, um, even so on the female side, and you're trying to uplift them to be competitive against the rest of the market. Um, I've had friends that spent years in um, different countries where uh, they were trying to work with cultures to help them say, hey, have a voice, fight back against the government, fight back against people. Um, and you're kind of right in the thick of things and you're saying, hey, I'm going to invest in you, but you need to step up and start pushing the, the notch. How are you finding that that's working? And are you finding that you're creating more of a voice or do you see that the Internet's helping create a voice because that seemed to help everybody around the world have a bigger voice? So how are you finding that's transferring across into um, into Asia? Uh yeah, it's very interesting. So, so obviously, I'm from London. My business partner, Gail, she's Singaporean. So she helps me bridge that gap. Um, and, and equally, we invest into um, European and North American um, uh, founders, too. So hopefully, I'm, you know, able to do that in, in reverse for her. Um, However, we're both obviously very worldly. She spent 10 years and working on Wall Street. And, you know, so we, we both have that. Um, and I've been here four years. So I feel like we're both well versed in the, the, the different cultures. And, and Singapore is a huge melting pot. So when we because we're based in Singapore, it doesn't mean all of our founders are Singaporean, of course. Um, they're, they're from um, all over the world and we look back at our portfolio now we've probably got predominantly North American founders um, some Indonesian Thailand Vietnam and Singapore um, and you and British um, so uh, you know a, a huge melting pot of everyone um, but it's very true to say that gender equality in Asia it does not have the same meaning that it does to you in Canada and to me in London um, and the rest of North America and the rest of Europe. So um, there's definitely an education piece here. Um, and I started out very, um, I would say, very reserved in my um, voice, with my voice, which is is not necessarily a natural thing for me to do, but I wanted to um, work out the lie of the land. And you're absolutely right. W women here do not have the voice that I'm used to having in Europe. And, um, but that said, the women here are, um, you know, Singapore, I think, has the um, highest ranked education system in the world, you know, the best outcome, academically speaking. And so women are educated extremely you know, well here, um, unlike other parts of Asia where that's still um, in, in, an issue. But here, so, so they have that and they're becoming more and more worldly and I think more and more capable. And you're right, the internet definitely assists with that. And I think Asia tends to look over towards the West at what is happening there and can see the writing on the wall. Um, and I, I, I see with the younger generation for sure, 
um, the amount of interest I get from university students, female university students here in Singapore, wanting to just come and work for me at Her Capital for free, just because they believe in the mission and they are not, there is nothing about them that is accepting of the status quo. And that for me, I would say is probably the single most kind of reassuring and, you know, um, comforting thing that I have around my business because I see these, the younger generation. So I, I might deal with some 40 year old women that, yeah, okay, they don't have that voice that I would like them to have. But when I look at the 20 somethings or younger, they've got it in bucket loads. Um, and so that for me is great. And, and I think that, I think that they're responding. I think if you give women uh, particularly somewhere like Asia, the op opportunity to have a voice or to listen, to engage in something that you might think is otherwise risky or risque or um, they're not interested in. They are. They just haven't had that opportunity before. So for us coming along and saying, hey, ladies, we're a venture capital fund. You've not had access to any capital. It's all been, you know, 45, 50 year old men. Um, and, you know, of course, you haven't wanted to go knocking on their doors, but here we are and we're going to represent you and we're going to support you. Um, it's amazing how that lifts them and they, they, that, that kind of comforts them and allows them that freedom to have their voice. Well, it's a, it's a vote of confidence, right? And sometimes yeah. you just need a little bit of support from somebody else. And uh, it, it probably does help that. Um, well, you've got a great name for your fund, so it's not hard to miss. It's not <laughs> a great name. Uh, so it really does emphasize on emphasis is strong on, on the female founder side. And uh, I think in today's world, everybody always wants to have a little bit of support and a little bit of help wherever they're going. Yeah. And I think that with the, um, with the female movement and everything that's going on around it, I think it's perfect timing, of course. And it really yes. does help put a lot of um, extra punch into uh, the investment community to uh, get behind your initiative, not just from you guys, but in general. Um, I think that it opens up a lot more people to start uh, looking at the space um, of female founders. And I, and I think uh, there's some interesting stats I've been looking at that are shifting a lot, but right now you've got give or take between 20 to 25% of, of female founders versus the 80 to 75% of male founders. And that's slowly starting to change, just like industries that were in medical, where it was all male dominated in the 70s and 80s. And now males make up like 5% of biotech and health tech, and it's all been female dominated. So yeah. uh, you'll probably see the same thing in the next five to 10 years that it'll pass that halfway mark and it will eventually surpass because there's a lot of reasons. I think you've um, stated a few in your past um, uh, interviews and stuff that a lot of female founder companies uh, generate more cash flow. They generate more value to customers. And um, uh, from the investments we made and including with females, I find that that is true. Uh, I think that there's uh, a lot more methodical stuff that gets in behind the female founder, um, which I think you talked about some of those before, which they may not have the voice, but they're meticulous. They know how to balance time. They're multitaskers. So there's so many great things that maybe people are too blind to put time into, um, to understanding different cultures, different people. But I think that that's a, a real big 
uh, plus on what you guys are, are looking for and really driving into that you're getting a real full tool belt of somebody that has great experience that can really drive a business and make it profitable instead of just taking money and who knows what's going to happen. Well, that's right. When did, like, I feel like in the last few years, like running a profitable business became like a bit of a, oh God, that's not good. Like, that's not what we want. Like, well, <laughs> you need to burn cash. Go burn cash. You're not burning a profit. <laughs> Go raise some more, raise yeah. some more, increase that valuation. Yeah. It, it, it's um, it's utter madness is what it is. It's utter madness. And women do tend to build those businesses that are aimed at profitability, um, sustained profitability and, and uh, a moderate growth. And um, we back those businesses as much as we back those ones that, uh, you know, are heading towards an IPO. Um, so it's about a mixed portfolio. But for me, that just, means for me as a founder at, at her capital is that this is just a huge opportunity because like I feel like saying well no one else is looking at this like this is like why it just it, it's such an obvious um and makes such great sense um right. to back those businesses that are awesome businesses run by amazing outstanding founders but they're not IPO material but they are profitable growing businesses like that's that's the key right there you're you're changing the storyline and that, that's what i love about this is that um when you take um most vcs they say we're looking for the next unicorn so yeah. everybody's always on the hunt for something unique and different and i can turn it into a unicorn uh, myself i'm not looking for a unicorn because one they don't exist and if they do great what I'm looking for is sustainable businesses, ones that can grow, that want extra capital, that can grow faster if they need it, but they're diligent, they understand the model, they're pivoting, they're, they're on the market, they're psychotic about their space, but they're growing into be a profitable company because if in five, 10 years that company doesn't sell, they're still gonna be a $50 million company generating revenue, generating profit, and they're gonna start buying other companies. That yeah. to me is, the way a, a, a new uh, an economic model can work and be sustainable. And if 50% or 70% of those are women run, even better, because then they're going to build in other elements that are going to make this sustainable and all the other great elements that are going to tie into it. And there's still going to be competitiveness, but at least these companies can sell or grow and they're not always going to be constrained to just gobs of money to support themselves. Yeah. And women build tend to build uh, teams that are more diverse as well. And diversity leads to better profitability. So, um, and they hire more women in leadership roles as well. Um, so yeah, and, and, and the biggest thing for me is that no one else is, is looking at this space. So I have access to the best of these deals. Um, and it just feels like such an arbitrage opportunity, I would say for us. Sure. So there's a, there's a, um, it's called, uh, uh, women in tech wit W I T yeah. and it's run by the BDC. It's a hundred, a $200 million fund allocated just for women in tech founders. So you might want to reach out to them. I was actually talking to BDC today. Uh, so they were, I, I've known about it because they run different conferences and they have the RBC, uh, women in tech center or section, but 
this would be, it might be a great connection for you guys because they only do Canadian companies, but that might open up the door for co-investments and everything else. Yeah. They've got uh, a lot of cash that they're just investing in female founders. So, uh, and I think the more that you get driving in there, the more value you're going to build from that ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. Good tip. Or, uh, so now with the companies that you're investing in, you said that you're globally making the investments. I, I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more on uh, how does that process work? Obviously, you've got people coming in, startups coming into globally. Uh, what makes the decision to say, you know what, I want to invest in this company in Sri Lanka versus in Australia? What, what's the driving force behind uh, making these investments? And then do you have to do anything to secure them? Uh, kind of how does that process work? So actually we have a, our mandate is um, approximately 80% of our fund Southeast Asia. And um, so majority of our businesses are, are here where we are. Um, and, but we do ha- allow ourselves a 20% um, opportunistic investing in North America, Australia, and Hong Kong. And it's purely because of where we've seen a lot of the talent come from in our former life under the Ladies Investment Club. And so we want to be able to invest there because we particularly like to invest in um, female health and wellness products. And so they tend to come from outside Southeast Asia and come from those three places in particular uh, because female health, anything to do with periods, fertility, menopause, um, sexual wellness, sexual pleasure, anything like that doesn't come from Southeast Asia typically. Um, and those three places are where we've identified most of um, the talent and innovation. Um, You're forgetting so, so Sorry? You're forgetting Canada? Yeah, sorry. Did I say USA? I, said, I meant North America. Okay. North America. I just said I've got some companies for you, so this is good. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. North America as a, as a, as a whole. Um is where we're focused. Um, we've actually due diligence a few companies in Canada. Um, so definitely. Um, so yeah, we, I, I, actually am, I actually lead our fundraising efforts and my business partner, Gail, she leads our investments um, because of her investment banking background. So that's kind of her sweet spot. But in terms of our um, process, um, you know, we, we're, we're trying to be, we, we, we tend to invest in three key areas, really, and that is female consumer and consumer technology. We invest in social impact and we invest in sort of a generalist tech. And that can be anything from, um, uh, from education technology, HR technology, legal tech, fintech really where the bulk of our investments lie are in the female consumer and consumer technology, female health space. Um, this is what really gets us going because women as, con- you know, the purchasing power of women is just astronomical. You know, it's close to 90% of all purchases made have a woman behind the decision-making. Um, so as women GPs, we invest in women founders who in turn are investing in women consumers. We all are those people. We understand who we are targeting because we are those people. So that's kind of our um, logic 
to to this and female health is particularly underserved when you look at research and the investment you know and I I get it like if you're a, a team of three four male VCs which most VC funds are and a woman walks in and she's got this amazing fertility tracking you know innovation it's like well what I don't know like what the how you know I, I don't I don't blame them you know I would find it extremely hard to invest in something that is very very you know male focused um because I think that might just be a little bit of a shortcoming and probably the wrong group to go after if yeah they, like anything else if you're not a VC and you're not exploring and opening up doors and talking to doctors and talking to other people to find out if this is a good company to invest in and a good product then they're not even doing their own job so uh, they should probably just leave that room in the first place because that's shallow to uh, not be able to explore or understand if you're a generalist investor, then you're really doing a terrible job. But I get, yeah, I, I, I agree, but I, I guess I, what I'm saying is I understand that, you know, that takes a lot of extra work. When we come across a deal that's in a space where we've never invested before, we have to think very carefully about, do we have the capacity here to really um dive deep into an industry that we've not invested in versus if we invest into a another um you know uh, S, if we invest into an sti home t- t- testing kit or something like that we kind of have done that before we, we 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 understand the space we're not experts but we understand that space um sure. and you so, want too right the, the last sorry? thing you want to do is have 10 of the same investments or 20 of the same investments you need a challenge absolutely Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But I think a lot of the female innovation, female health, anything to do with the female body, I think it's sometimes, you know, it it can make men feel uncomfortable. So um, we're going to work with one right now that just hits in the same spot you're talking to. Uh, We're actually working on uh, um, putting together the whole contract and deal flow with how we're going to work with them. But it's in uh, uh, contraceptive. So we're pretty excited about it. And uh, I don't need to be a rocket scientist on knowing it, but I believe the founder and the space. So you got to get excited for it's something that's uh, a little different. Last night I was on the Founders Institute um, coaching mentoring session and um, there was a pitch done and a female was pitching. And uh, when she was done pitching the, the concept, uh, I literally did not have a clue what she was talking about. I didn't <laughs> understand it. And it wasn't because I have no idea. I see thousands of pitches a year, if nothing more than that. Um, it just how she was explaining it. And when it was done, I thought, what is this some like, and they made a joke about it because it was kind of funny, but I felt like what they were trying to sell with Build was she was talking about yoga and shaving your legs and that this was this going to be a redefining product for women. And I thought, what is this, like a bungee cord? You strap it to your back because they mentioned something on your back. So all I kept thinking was that you're on a bungee cord in the shower. I'm like, how does this help you shave? Um, But there was three screens of all of the startups that were part of the cohort. She was on one of the other screens. So I couldn't even tell who was talking, but I guess her background picture actually showed the product. So then when I was giving feedback and sharing this, then her picture came up and it was basically a table that went across the back of the tub and it was built with all of these different uh, mechanisms to ensure stability when standing in a shower, sitting, all of these things that you could do. So totally different than what I had envisioned. But when I saw it, I was like, get it. I can totally see how this is going to make 
women in the shower more comfortable. But at the time, I thought it was some bungee cord and it was just weird. So and again, our job is to help them better articulate their plan and their pitch and their business. But at the end, it was, uh, it was I guess, funny, but at the end, it worked out well. So uh, she's a pretty cool product that she's getting ready to launch. So, Okay. See, it's exciting, isn't it? There's so many different businesses. It's like it's exciting just to be part of that, like hear about what's going on in all the different space, even if you're not investing in it. It's very 100%. interesting for yeah, someone like me that gets bored very easily. And I need like a lot of stimulation and, um, and be learning a lot. It, it, it's great. hundred percent. Yeah. I, if I didn't see the amount of startups I did a day, I don't even know what I'd be doing after this because I don't think there's anything that could stimulate me with, you know, some days I'll see 20 pitches or 30 pitches in a day and you're just sorting through where you're going with them, how you're helping them. Um, but I think that there's, uh, there's more we want to do because you're seeing all of them. And if you're only investing in one of those hundred that you see, it gets frustrating because you're like, well, if I have the privilege because not too many people are getting to see a hundred pitches a week, if you're getting to see this volume, shouldn't you be able to do more? So your brain starts to fight against this, man, I want to help more. How can I help these people do this? So it becomes a, a tic-tac-toe board. You're always trying to move people around and get them in front of these other people and introducing these investors or these uh, startups to each other because they could work together. So there's a lot of action going on, but it's stimulating. And at the end of the day, you yeah. hope you can transfer some of that back to the startups, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now I guess that you guys have started making these, you're making global investments and you've got a nice little portfolio and you've, you've decided which companies really fit the criteria. What is, what is the founder criteria that you look for? Uh, because I guess every woman's not equal and everybody's not the same. So what type of things do you look for um, in a founder in order to make those next steps happen on, a, on say, going into due diligence? Um, so... I think I think there's a lot of um, different things, different parts that make up an outstanding founder for us. Um, and the, Gail, Gail, my business partner, and I have different views on this, and we look for different things. And so that's why I why we both work and are, are complementary to each other. But um, for me, I, I I really look for, and I can see that this is working for me because when I look back at my portfolio um, the companies where I applied this and it, it what and, and, and I use this criteria is paying dividends now um, and that is um, my, my ability to build a personal relationship with that founder is really important because bearing in mind we're investing usually a pretty early stage so it's not like we can you know say give us your last three years financials and etc cetera, etc cetera, and let me dive deep in those it's actually you know yes we look at the, the forecasting but it's and and the, and the market you know all those typical things but um but in terms of the founder it's very much for me do i like you can you can i work with you do I want to sit on a call with you every couple of weeks? And do I want to have a coffee with you? Do And does that translate into you being uh, able to attract and retain amazing talent in your business? That's really important. Um, I've met some founders that look to me like they're building great businesses, would never want to work for them, 
and wouldn't want to really spend a great deal of time with them. And I just think, well, I actually have the privilege here of this being my own business and I can choose who I want to work with. Um, and I don't think that you have the capacity to attract and retain great talent. And therefore that's going to be your Achilles heel um, and a big one in a small business. So um, that for me is super important. And of course that vision, right? That, and, and that's not going back to our sort of burning yourself out point. It's not about, looking for founders that are going to work 120 hours a week. It's about looking for founders that, um, that are super laser focused on the, on their goal, their objective, whatever that may be, whether that is to head for an IPO or just to grow a team to 50 people and to have a profit of X or whatever, like it, they have a laser focus on that and, and they're able to, um, execute on that whilst keep retaining even under pressure that part that is likable and that humility because um, that is I've seen so many businesses where they can't attract people and they they don't have um, they're, they're lacking in those skills and I, I think they're super important and I'm not sure that really venture typically values that too much. I think that's actually of all the things you listed, they all kind of seem like, okay, yeah, get it. But that one was the key to it all, I think, is that um, can they retain talent? Yeah. Can they bring talent in? And yeah. I don't even, this, obviously you've emphasized this on the female founder side, but when you, I've never looked at the founder, even from uh, male or female side in same context, looking at them saying, could other people work for these people? and in a bigger capacity? And will they actually be able to get people to do work? Will they build that, as you mentioned, build goals and have a direction of where they're going? Uh, so I think that does carry a lot of weight in, uh, in the female founder or, well, I guess you could say in general, but really so in the female founder side, because yeah. if uh, you can't work with them and you can't figure out what they're trying to get to, then how can anybody else? So yes, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So in, the, in, the, in that female founder team, being, being able to retain and grow, uh, because you mentioned the goal aspect, is that part of your performance review or your updates too, is saying that if we're coming into this company, you better have an outlook. I got to see where this is going. Are you driven to sell the company in three years? Is that goal set at the beginning or you're willing to work with them to get to what those goals might be? Absolutely. we like I, like I said, we have a, we, we, the aim is for us to have a very mixed portfolio. So some of those goals will be very much driven by um, hyper growth. And some of those goals will be driven by, um, you know, for the more tech um, companies of our portfolio. And some of our businesses will be driven, you know, just to reach X amount of employees and be in X amount of countries and hit this revenue, etc. Um, we are about as far away as possible from a VC that's going to come in and say, this is what you must do. This is how you're going to do it. We're investing into women that have that goal in their mind and it is crystal clear, whatever that is, and they know how to execute. They are experts in their field. We are not. We are here to support them in whatever way they want and need. And 
um, and that's also one of the things we look for. You know, we do want to be here to support. Are they open to that support? And um, and and that doesn't mean we're looking for women that, you know, that are not great at X or not great at Y or need mentoring. Uh, women don't necessarily need extra mentoring because they're women. Um, I'm sort of fed up of hearing that. What we're saying is we're investing in these outstanding women that know have crystal clear objectives and absolute sight on what they're doing, but we're here to support them around the edges, to make introductions, to be on the other end of the phone. Um, I was with a founder of ours on Monday this week. We were doing some filming and she was asked a question. She was being interviewed by one of my team. You know, what does Tanya actually provide to you? Like, what's the most valuable thing? Because I've been an investor in her business for the last three years. And she turned around and she said, well, it's that I can call her up twice a week. And, um, and that's not a scheduled thing. That's just roughly how many times she calls me up to ask this or, you know, get my opinion on this latest discussion with a VC that she's had or whatever it is, I'm just there. Um, and, and so we, we want to be there. That's pretty much it. But everything else is driven by the founder. Love it. Uh, and, and it's, it, it always falls back to, or at least where I'm learning from talking to you and, and things is that your past really, I think really carries forward in how you interact with everybody, how you balance the juggling act of talking to different founders all the time and being able to uh, give them that drive or the support and, and helping them move forward. I think that's incredible. So it makes a big difference. Yeah, I, and and I sort of touched on it then, but it, it's a real bugbear of mine. But I, when I speak to, um, when I see what other VCs are doing, typically sort of male VCs or even corporates, when you look at what corporates are doing for, you know, they've they've identified that we need to back more women. Oh, how do we do that? Oh, okay, we give women more mentoring, more education, because there's something lacking with them that they're missing something, they're not educated correctly, or they don't have confidence. That's what I hear all the time. So we're going to give them mentoring. So our contribution to addressing SDG five, gender equality, and gender diversity is mentoring for women. And it's like, really, how about just some investment, like equal access to capital, that it's no more complicated. I Sorry? think you should reverse it on them and tell them that they're the ones that need some mentoring and coaching <laughs> on how to actually interact and work with everybody um, instead yeah. of trying to put the onus on the other culture or people that they're the ones that are inefficient or deficient uh, when it's actually the people probably talking. Yeah. So uh, I think that, and I was thinking this while you were saying this, I'm trying to figure out, is there a, a balance somewhere in here uh, it's not broken down by gender. I think that's a, a terrible metric to use. Um, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's based on age. Well, nobody knows what anybody's age is anymore, and I'm not the one that's going to ask. So I think it goes back to experience level and how open you are um, to do that. Like uh, a 20-year-old building a company versus a 40-year-old building a company, there's a big difference and a big gap of experience, and that they're going to be able to maneuver through the waters differently at 40 than they are at 20. But then the difference of maneuvering through at 40 maybe you've taken too many lumps so you don't go the same direct route maybe you go around because you're avoiding conflict whereas at 20 you don't give a shit and you're going right through the conflict zone so there's 
a win for both sides, right? One might get there faster with more bruises. The other one might get there more efficiently and make more money and get to the end result anyhow. So I, I don't know if there's a real metric to define how you should be working with founders, but I do think that we have to take out if they are a different culture, they're female, they're male, they're this, and just treat everybody as an equal. And exactly. Try their basis is what experiences are you lacking that I can help offset so that you'll grow. And uh, because they'll know things that we don't, like you said, the reason you do this is because you're learning um, new innovations, new things. There's a lot of stuff you get out of this just as they are. So there's yeah. a balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not against mentoring. I'm not against, uh, you know, that, that additional education and training and support. I'm, I'm not against any of those things. I just don't think that we need to do that in abundance because they're women. That's what I'm against. And that's what I think the world is currently where we're at in, it, with, with so much focus on we're going to give them this mentoring because they're women. It feels like that they're treating them like they're a problem. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, they're women. They're not yeah. smart enough. We should do this, which is not yeah. even the case and it's farthest thing from it. So uh, yeah. I, I, show me a country. Show me a... Sorry, right. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I have a low attention span for ignorance. It drives me crazy. So I just don't want to talk to ignorant people that just don't see the benefit of other people. And what, if it doesn't matter who they are, just figure out a way to work with them because they know things you don't and you know things they don't. There's a great way to meet in the middle. But uh, the ignorant side of people just, it, it flusters me. So I call it out or I walk away. So, but I'm, I'm glad that you see that and you're trying to accommodate a lot of this to move things in a forward direction as well. Yeah, I think sometimes the intentions are always are also good. Um, it's they're just um, they're just sort of not they're a bit misplaced, I guess. That they, they think that that's what they should do, or they're not sure. So that that so that it's not always uh, mansplaining or as, you know something as um, obvious as that um, or as offensive as that. But sometimes it's a, a lack of knowing what to do. So actually, some businesses coming through where that would help help like VC, uh, financial industry, corporates, whatever to navigate this in a better way yep. i think it would be a great business <laughs> oh totally agree with that i saw a post on on linkedin and it was we're looking to diversify our um board of directors uh we're looking to have people in uh i think they they may have been refined and said people that were um like black people or something like that people of color to apply and someone's like, you really think you're solving the problem by opening up a board seat and defining that you're looking for someone of color to fill in this. You guys need to revamp your whole outlook on how life works and your business works because that was the dumbest thing anybody could post because I like to read the comments. <laughs> I completely agree. I was like, yeah, man, that's terrible. Um, but again, no one knows. They're trying. They're trying. They're trying. Yeah. And they're trying to adapt. And uh, yeah. I, I give them try points, but they should probably yeah. ask some questions and talk to some yes. other people to get some better feedback on how do I approach this to get the success I'm looking for uh, without making it offensive or the wrong way to yes. break, break the ice. So Yeah, yeah. And when you look at women, um, find me a country on this planet where women do not outperform men at, educa at education, you know, at university, at school, like academically speaking. It, it, there's not a lack of education or uh, 
um, a, a lack of that, you know, intrinsic intelligence. It, it, it's not, it's not that. Agreed. So we don't need it. I completely agree. And everybody can take some time to read something, review something and learn something. So uh, I don't think that there's any CEO in the world that's not up for the challenge and task of figuring out something new to get over the hurdles. So yeah. um, I'm not sure that uh, those are always the right answers, but um, all right, we're going to move to the rapid fire questions, but I have to, which I've never done before. I need one hundredth of a second because there's a beeping going in the background. <laughs> I need to turn it off. So okay. give me one second. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, all right, rapid fire questions. Here we go. Okay. What's your favorite part of investing? Meeting founders. Done. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, 10. Any verticals you like to focus on? Female consumer, consumer tech, social impact. Do you have any due diligence requirements that you look for before you make a commitment? Um, geography, size, um, and as long as it meets our, it fits, it fits in our verticals, then that's it. Okay. Uh, timelines for investment from startup conversation. Uh, to end. Um, roughly eight weeks. Okay. Anything else outside of like due diligence requirements, anything that you like to emphasis on a team, CEOs, anything like that that really make a difference? Uh, women in the senior leadership teams and diversity amongst the team. So not, um, so if there's three senior roles, we would like, you know, two of those along with our founder, including our founder to be, to be women. Okay. Do you like to lead rounds? Uh, yes, and also no. Okay, preferred terms? For pref shares, common shares, what, what do you like to uh, work with? We're very fluid at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Yeah. Um, do you do follow-up investments and percentage of portfolio? Yes, we do 50%. Awesome. You take board seats? Yes, or bo board observer at, at least, at the very least. Okay. And is there... Anything outside of, and you've talked about a bunch of things, but just to wrap it up, is there a bunch of other things that outside of money that you provide to the startups? So much, so much. And actually even our LPs have the option to get involved. I was speaking to an LP this week who said, um, we invest in female health. She's a doctor. She said, can I have access to, you know, can I support some of these businesses? Absolutely, you can. Of course, we love that. Um, so some of our LPs will likely take board observer seats in some of our portfolio. Um, a large number of our LPs are women. And I think more often than not, they want to give something more than their money, which is usually their time and expertise. Awesome. There's another, another female group that I just thought of that you could look at. They're in Toronto. They're called SHEEO, S-H-E-O. My business partner is the is 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 already there. She's in what she's in the team. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Pretty cool. Then I don't need to tell you about it then. So they do yeah. a lot of stuff with female founder raising and helping put the money into female founders. 
the government, yeah. all this stuff. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. See, you're already in the ecosystem. You're already part of the Canadian side. I love it. All right. So uh, now we're done the rapid fire questions. Now the next question is, and what we look for is kind of like this. Uh, it's like a heartfelt story of you can't believe that the founder came from this and they were able to make this happen or the reverse. It didn't happen the way we wanted to and things didn't work out. But just looking for a story where founders can kind of feel the pain. They understand what people go through. But sometimes they don't get to hear the war stories. They don't really understand what someone goes through. And maybe there's a story that comes to top of mind and you were like, this girl did this and then it took off like crazy. We couldn't believe it. She almost was bankrupt or whatever it might be. But just some great heartfelt story that you really think was amazing. Yeah, okay. The thing, the thing is, is you'll find that almost every founder has a story like that, whatever it may be. Um, so I can think of many, many stories. But one is a founder here in Singapore that we invested in. And we invested in one type of, we invested in an e-commerce marketplace. And um, she's been plugging away at this business for five years. And it was in, in, in a very challenging place, built some, built the technology to, um, to actually power the website because the off the shelf products weren't up to the job of what we had, what the product, what we were selling, i.e. the marketplace. So built the technology ourselves and ended up with um, not just actually elevating the very core business that we had built the technology for, but actually having this um, product that we could sell as a SaaS solution. And um, so we went from, you know, a challenging place, a very challenging place. I'm on, I, and I, I chat to this founder an awful lot um, and she's fantastic to now building this product. And then it was I primarily built for um, the hospitality industry and launched at the beginning of this year. What happened at the beginning of this year? The hospitality industry disappeared as we know it. Um, and so we kind of had this, it was, we were in a tough place. We built this thing. It was all going to be wonderful. We secured these five-star luxury hotels. It was all going great. And then boom. Um, and then she pivoted to uh, um, uh, retail. And of course, retail this year, all online has gone like this. So again, business is going great guns. So this founder has worked, solo founder, worked her socks off, you know, three, three children, solo founder, uh, pivoted this business, now spin-off business and is on fire. Um, and I love her. She's amazing. And she, and, and she's exactly the founder that I described earlier when I said, when I apply this criteria, to investing in her. It wasn't that I fell in love with her e-commerce marketplace. I fell in love with her in that I knew that she would make whatever it was successful. And we were so early stage that I could invest in her. And, and now that's paying dividends. So yeah, that's my story. Love it. Those are the good stories. See, that's cool. I like that. Very good. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're going to get to the personal side and normally I ask this first question at the beginning, but uh, because we were moving so fast, it just totally didn't even hit me. But uh, the first question is, um, what's one thing about you that nobody would know? Oh. Um, 
I'm a fantastic hula hooper. Yeah, that will be a first. I've never heard that one, so that's good. That is good. Um, and the reason why I do this is because I like to, in all the classes and everything I do, I always ask this question because uh, you mentioned it earlier, but it, it's, um, we all have shortcomings. My shortcoming is I'm terrible with names, but yeah. I'm very good with details. So I will always remember stats and numbers. Well, I'm not going to call everybody your number one and your number five. That doesn't really work. But if I get some sort of description, it allows for me to remember who that person is. So I uh, okay. that to go around. So then I'll be like, uh, oh, the person that was an amazing hula hooper. She's in <laughs> So that's, that's why how you're going to remember me now. <laughs> yeah. Well, bucketing. One of my students that um, this was a few years ago, one of the students said to me, he's like, um, I look Chinese, but I'm actually Vietnamese. So that was his unique identifier. And that was the crushing part because now every time I see him, that's all I could think of. <laughs> so, uh, but it does help. It does put it into context. So, okay. All right. Um, favorite sports team. And if you oh. don't, you can just kind of morph something into the a sporting field that you might like. No, I'm a huge netball fan. Do you have? I don't think you have netball in Canada, do you? Uh, is that that's different than volleyball, right? Netball's a smaller. Netball's like basketball, played by women. You can't move though with the ball; you're stationary. It's very popular in Australia, New Zealand, Jamaica, and UK. I didn't know that you couldn't move, but I do remember seeing a couple of matches in uh, from not the from Australia. Yes, yeah, they're usually, yeah, yeah. Aussies, Kiwis, or the UK are usually the world champions. Um, I love netball, so the British, the UK um, netball team are probably my favorite. I think we had, um, if I remember correctly, the Commonwealth Games in Toronto. Yeah. We had netballers and I yes. did go to a couple matches and I yes. believe was it the Argentinian team was pretty damn good. They were fast, but they weren't like I think there was the UK, there was a few others that were really like crushing it. So Yeah, yeah. I mean the Australian team, they have some uh players that are like six foot three. You know, these are extremely tall women. Um yeah, they just like popping it in. Yeah. Dominating the sport. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I have to remember back if it was Argentina or that was another one. But anyways, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, last last question to this is, uh, what's your favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my favorite movie, of absolutely, is Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. All right. Yeah. Do you know it? I do know it. I don't know if I've actually seen it yet. I don't think so. I saw like snippets of it. And what character? Oh, it's hilarious. Hilarious. Well, the main character is a bit of a goofball. Like she, she messes up a lot, but then she comes good, you know, typical story. Um, I think I would play the, um, the evil, um, the evil woman that's trying to steal her best friend um, who lives in the big mansion and um, gets to wear really nice clothes and drive nice cars. That's, okay. I think that's who I would play just because she was, and, and she sings very badly. I like singing badly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm going to watch this movie. I've got so many movies to watch now and uh, I'm going to, I like to match up. So the reason why I like to do the character in a movie, because I, again, personally believe that 
you see a lot of representation of a character and how you could either work that way or be part of that or you enjoy the way they work or the way they talk. So it'd be kind of cool. And then I like to match them up. So I, I had um, one interview where the gentleman said that he was Yoda. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm not sure you fit Yoda. You're more like a, um, what's the dude's name? I always forget this guy's name now, but uh, uh, oh my God, uh, Lando. And uh, he's like, well, kind of, but I'm more of a Yoda. So <laughs> it, it, uh, it makes me think. So now I'm like, I'm going to watch every Star Wars movie again. Maybe I'm missing something. This guy's like Yoda. I got to find this out. So I don't think I'm like this lady, by the way, when you're watching it. Don't judge me. You'll be thinking, wow, she's a hula hooping evil woman. I'm not. Um, but I just, I just think she would be the cooler one to play. No, for sure. That's awesome. Well, Tanya, it was brilliant chatting with you. I learned lots, as I always do. I take lots of notes. There you go. Lots of notes. Uh, big fan. But thank you very much for your time today. It's a pleasure getting to, to learn a bit more about yourself and what you guys are up to. Uh, the way we like to end our, in our, end our podcast is we like to leave the last word to you. So anything you want to say to investors or to startups, uh, the show is yours. So feel free to uh, take it over. Oh, thank you. Uh, one of the things I haven't talked about today with you is that diversity at fund manager level will follow through to diversity at founder level. And therefore, if we are really committed to investing in a more equal world, i.e. Um, women, people of color, et cetera, et cetera, we must invest in managers that look like that too, and not just the typical um, GPs that we see at the moment. So that would be my parting shot. I love it. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Everybody's got to look up and look forward to uh, being in a space that they want to be, and they got to be able to see representation at the same yeah. level. Yes. I love it. Well, again, brilliant. I, I love everything you're doing. Please keep it up. And uh, um, yeah, we hope to get you to our next event so you can check out some of the companies that we have coming through. And outside that, have a fantastic day because you've got a whole day ahead of you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the early start. <laughs> Anytime. Have a Thank great you. day. Thank you again, Tanya. Thank you. Bye. Great conversation with Tanya. Really enjoyed all the things that they're doing. Um, even from the triple bottom line, profit, planet, people. Uh, man, all the things that we've talked about. Uh, Southeast Asia, investing in female founders and companies. Uh, how they look for when they're talking about personal relationships and how they can retain talent. Thought that was awesome. Can they actually be work? Can people work with them going forward? Will they be able to hire people that will be able to drive this business forward? Are they really made for that? Uh, I think they did a lot of great things. Uh, I love the diversifying at 80% in Southeast Asia, 20% global. Um, brilliant. Overall, big fan. Thank you. <laughs>